I have found the location of one of the pieces of the image of the beast. She who was and is not and yet is. Sounds a lot like someone describing one of the many fever dreams of foreign Lovecraftian cinematic adventures. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide through the world of cinematic Lovecraft inspirations, from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I'm Jim Rohner, and this is where James McCormick would be if he was here tonight, but he unfortunately was called into work, he could not make it, but I am not flying solo, because in today's episode we'll, where we'll be reviewing 1993's Dark Waters, written by Mario Bano and Andy Bark, and directed by Mario Bano, joining me to discuss this film from the alum of the Experimental Center of Cinematography of Rome, which I did not know was a thing <laughs> until today, is Brian Muldoon, co-host of the Happy Harvest Horror Show. Brian, um, thanks for uh, thanks for joining. Thanks for making sure that uh, you know I still had some company for uh, this one. Happy to be here. Yeah, this is exciting. Um, so, Brian, um, you are not just uh, my coworker. Um, peek behind the curtain. True we story. are that though. Yeah, despite the fact that Brian has been my coworker for about a month, this is only the second time I've seen him without a mask on. Um, because we take this stuff seriously here in New York City. Um, Brian is, as I said, the co-host of the Happy Harvest Horror Show, um, which may be a podcast that many of you have not heard of before. So, Brian, this is your chance to edify the people. What is the Happy Horror, um, Happy Harvest Horror Show? Sorry, um, about. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a show uh, that me and my podcast host Corey Hendricks um, we've been doing for about a year. Uh, it's just kind of a celebration of all things spooky culture, spooky movies, spooky. It's kind of like it started off as kind of like Halloween podcast and it's really just morphed into anything kind of macabre. Um, and so we cover things from as as kind of fun as like the pumpkin spice latte to like we just did an episode on like the history of being buried alive, you know, and then like everything in between, you know. <laughs> so um, it's yeah, it's it's been a fun, uh, fun show. We got uh, over a Halloween um, season. We had a you know, we had a Hocus Pocus episode that was pretty popular. We've had, um, yeah, we've just got all these spooky topics that eventually as we talk about and have a like, hour-long conversation, it's like, we should do an episode on that. We should do an episode. And then we just keep it going. But So do you try and make it, uh, as the name would imply, seasonal in the sense of like, we got July 4th coming up. What's a scary thing associated with the 4th of July holiday? Yeah, we, we, we do. We um um, I mean, from my co-host, she's very interested in the occult and, and witchy sort of stuff. Uh, and I come from the perspective of just really loving horror movies. And mm-hmm. so like those kind of clash and um, like for, you know, we, we did an episode on the summer solstice. We've done episodes on the winter solstice. You know, we, we, uh, um, we did it for 4th of July. We did an episode on haunted presidents um because the white house is a pretty haunted place apparently oh, yeah, you know? allegedly, so, yeah okay um the short answer is yeah we do we, we kind of keep it spooky all year round that's pretty fun uh, i, I yeah. like i like that I, I gave brian an idea to do a, an episode on the yule log which started um traditionally i believe as something to kind of burn during the the, the long dark of the winter um maybe that's a little bit before it turned into a uh, an iteration of a delicious dessert um you know, there's, and we're there's, totally going to steal that now. So. Yeah, no, just, yeah. <laughs> I hope you start that episode with like, this is my idea. And by you, by my, I mean, this is you saying this. This was my idea. I did not get influenced by anyone. This is entirely <laughs> came from my brain. That's um, exactly right. So you heard it here for uh, first, folks, um, for, of course, all the listeners that we have um, on here. But so, Brian, uh, for people to get to know you a little bit better, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Top three favorite horror films of all time without thinking Ooh. about it. Just go right now. Go. Uh, Halloween. Okay. A, a Beetlejuice. I think it counts. He's, he's pointing to a poster in the background. You can't see it. Yep. 
big fan of Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. Um, geez, I want to put more Carpenter. I want to say the thing, you know, but okay. uh, um, yeah, I guess we'll do that. We'll do that okay. three. Because as you said, first three that came to my head, Halloween, no. Beetlejuice, the thing. That's fair. I told you not to overthink it and you didn't. So very good. Um, Jaron Carpenter is a, is a fantastic filmmaker. I'm showing it. I'm gaining a new appreciation for him because I'm currently going through uh, or or they are currently going through the the blank check podcast is going through the the um the resume of John Carpenter. So today's episode, as I was on the way home on the subway, I was listening to his their episode on uh, John Carpenter's Vampires, which is oh yeah a movie I've not seen in a long time and probably uh, would like significantly less, especially because of the whole you know James Woods factor of um that movie he's a main character so that is <laughs> yeah he certainly is um unfortunately yeah <laughs> yeah yes um but that's cool um happy harvest horror show is the podcast and you're you're a weekly podcast i'm assuming unlike uh, us over here at the Casa cthulhu we uh, we there was a there was a strong effort to be and i think we are now more uh, every other week you know um <laughs> But, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of all over the place. Whenever we, we can get, we try to get as many episodes as we can, but life's life. And we try to, you know, scheduling comes, comes up, but so. It happens, especially when, uh, you know, you have folks like us whose schedule kind of varies by week to week. So it makes, uh, makes, uh, scheduling a little bit more, uh, difficult, but certainly, um, a fun challenge. So, um, yeah, I feel uh, listeners in full disclosure, I feel a little bit bad for Brian, uh, cause I was like, why don't you come on the podcast? Here's a list of everything that we've already covered and stuff that we want to cover. And of course, anything that came to his <laughs> head. Yes, we've done already. Um, <laughs> we've, we've done the thing we've done reanimator. We've done from beyond, we've done all sorts of things. So, um, pickings were a little slim, Brian, I, I apologize for that. Um, I did see on the list, uh, both castle freaks and yes. <laughs> have not touched either. And I <laughs> was yeah. not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> we, we may, um, we may save that one for a special episode, considering that the, the guest on our last podcast, Steven, who is from uh, the disenfranchised podcast, which is all about movies that were intending to start some type of franchise, but failed for one reason or another, we may do that as like a hybrid one is like both a Lovecraft adaptation and also one that, Barbara Crampton kind of produced and started to hopefully kick off like a, a Lovecraftian um, interconnected universe and didn't seem to do that. So um, that one, that one is a little bit. And also like at this point, we've covered so many direct Lovecraft adaptations that like those that are still out there, we have to hang on to very preciously because there's no more coming as far as we know, at least um, until uh, Del Toro's at the Mountains of Madness screenplay actually gets produced, which one day. Yeah. One day, one and there work. was a brief moment where I don't know if, uh, however brief, but uh, Richard Stanley, unfortunately, mm-hmm. had, had another one, yes. set, you know, teed up right with Spectre Vision, yep. and then, and then that happened. Um, he was, yeah, he was going, he was going to do, I believe, actually a trilogy. There was one that Spectre Vision had like kind of confirmed that they were going to do, which um, I think was going to be, um the whisper in darkness maybe or the haunter of the dark one of those it had darkness in the title and then he said on mick garris's postmortem podcast a while back like in the third one is is exactly the one that you'd expect it to be which i'm assuming meant it was going to be the the call of cthulhu but um then it turned out he was kind of a monumental piece of shit so who knows if that's even going to happen anymore it's but real shame is it is a real shame um and yet somehow uh um what's his name Victor Salva still working, still putting out. I don't game. understand it. They're rebooting Jeepers Creepers, and I was like, "But, come on, guys, 
<laughs> anyway, um, but so that, that's all the way of saying that I show this list to Brian and he's like, uh, I don't know, maybe Dark Waters. And so I was and that was my thought too. like, yeah, I don't know, maybe Dark Waters. So um, we're both coming into this having seen it for the first time. Uh, James um, would probably contribute more to this conversation in the sense of, uh, as you are, are well aware, he has kind of an encyclopedic knowledge of obscure foreign horror movies. Um, in fact, he confirmed to me today that this was one that he had blind bought at Best Buy years ago, so who knows what, we, what he would have said. But um, I am a, I'm a little bit curious, Brian, as to what was it about Dark Waters that you're like, uh, maybe this one? Who knows? Um, well, I, I said before that, Sorry, I got a, a siren out in my window. Uh, perks of living across the street from a firehouse. Um, there is uh, um, this last summer, Severin uh, is announced that they're going to release a, a full core box set of you know first time Blu-ray, a number of titles. Um, I'm a big fan of full core, so I just you know I, I grabbed it, and I, on the list was Dark Waters, and so I like clocked in my head like, oh, I can't wait to check that out. So seeing that on the list made me go, oh yeah. It's comes right back around. Um, so that's that's full transparency. That's why I've got it coming in the mail at some point whenever that shifts. Um, so depending on how you felt about this first viewing, either like it's going to be a, a, a pleasant arrival or sort of like, oh, God, why did I do that? Um, but yeah, uh, and, and one thing as as the guest before we kind of move on, I guess um, what sort of relationship have you had if any, I mean, you, you can be entirely um, uh, ignorant if, if that's the case to like Lovecraft and the term Lovecraftian. Like what is what is that name or, or what is that like concept kind of invoke in you, especially as a, as a big horror fan? Yeah, I, well, I, I think I, I understood what like the uh, or context clues, what Lovecraftian means mm -hmm. long before I came to Lovecraft, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. um, and and by even Lovecraft, I, I, I wouldn't even I, I'm uh, um, I'm very interested in him, but I haven't read. I'm not very well read with him. I've, the stories that I've read, you know, I've uh, there are a lot of shorter stories. I've read um, uh, the tomb. I've read um, um, uh, the sleep. Whether the dreams one, I can't remember. Beyond um, the wall of sleep or or dream quest. No, no, it's not because dream quest of the unknown Kadath is quite long. But beyond the something of sleep. I, I'm sorry. Beyond the, <laughs> yeah. Beyond the walls of sleep. That's it. That's the one. Um, so I've read shorter versions of that. And I, you know, been like, yeah, this is pretty rad. And I've also, um, there's a, I love to collect horror vinyl and there is uh, and records um, depending on what your verbiage of, of that would be. Uh, and Cadabra records makes some awesome spoken word um, and so I've gotten a few of those. I've gotten the, the, um, call of Cthulhu from there. I've gotten, mm. they did a, um, the festival. I've got to listen to that. Mm. And so those are fun intros to those stories of actually spoken word with, um, you know, Fabio, um, uh, uh, doing the, um, Frieza, Frieza. Yeah. I've never said it out loud. <laughs> he basically did all that, <laughs> uh, Italian, you know, horror director or composer. Uh, so he's doing the score for all of those. So it's really spooky. It's pretty fun. So, uh, the answer is that I, I very peripherally mm -hmm. that I've come to, um, appreciate him. So coming into this one, um, uh, had me ask, I had some questions ready to tee up because this is a Lovecraft podcast. Sure. And the first thing I, I have always wondered is, is this such a Lovecraft when I've, when things are called Lovecraftian, mm -hmm. the first thing that comes to my mind is like wet, like damp, like, <laughs> and is yeah. that founded within the text or is that just everyone's interpretation? Uh, um, yes and no. I mean, um, certainly the, the, I would say pop culture and, and general audiences, primary introduction to the 
let's say the the for lack of a better term the demonology or or the the zoology if you will of lovecraft is 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 cthulhu who um as an entity is um fast asleep in the city of relia way below the water or below the ocean so um when you know there was a what was it 2013 i guess like the bloop like that sound that like a no or, or the that um some scientific organization under the water recorded that just sounded like a giant bubble and everyone's like oh it's cthulhu like waking up because that is that is part of the lore and that cthulhu one of these ancient um godlike entities is sleeping under the ocean and will one day the stars will align and then he will sort of wake up but um and dagon which is like a stuart gordon movie uh which i think is pretty bad um that's also like that's um um the dagon entity is also kind of associated with water because of the, the dagon short story like takes place with a guy that's kind of like lost at sea or shipwrecked if you will um so it's like it's there but it's kind of more what people have brought to it and added onto it. Um, Lovecraft was a prolific letter writer in his in his time, and so actually, uh, you know, co uh, corresponded with a lot of other um, writers and other weird fiction writers. Some of whom, after his death, kind of added on to his mythos um, and actually took some of his um, or a lot of his creations, a lot of the the gods like Yog Sothoth and Cthulhu and Azathoth and stuff, and 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 created new ones, but like identified them or associated them with different elements. So like here are the water gods, here are the fire ones, here are the earth ones, which was like stuff that kind of maybe contextually existed in his text, but was never explicitly made by him. Um, but it is uh, so like it was there's there's like a seed of it there that others have just kind of like planted and watered and, and, and what have you. Um, but, uh, you know, so it, it's that's that's a roundabout way of saying like water is part of it, but also not the biggest part of it uh, I, I mean certainly not in terms of settings of of locations for his short stories like it's just kind of the ones that we primarily think of but if you would dig into his his uh his bibliography i mean you'd have you know the tomb does not take place right underwater um you know there's some stuff that take place in like a tomb in ancient egypt and or like the woods you know the backwoods of new england and that kind of stuff so um he's he, he's much more his settings are much more like cities um in and around new england basically because he was a yeah he was a new englander and also just a xenophobe so he didn't really want to leave uh new england that much i because i wondered that too if, if that was because a lot of his stories deal with madness and and and, mm -hmm. and maybe this is this is just like the, the easiest representation of drowning you know drowning in madness that we can incorporate in that mm -hmm. so, but so going into this movie like right at the beginning like the first shot in the church and everything's just leaking and yeah. wet mm -hmm. and i was like yeah okay so lovecraftian right <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean we we joke on this podcast too that a lot of times a filmmaker will just throw a tentacle in a movie and it's like oh it's lovecraftian now because well, lovecraft, there it is <laughs> and, and it really it i think it, it mostly just stems from the fact that cthulhu is like is everyone's kind of primary entryway into lovecraft as a creator and like yes he is a a squid face entity that lives at the bottom of the ocean but it's like but that's not how all of them are kind of a thing um gotcha but uh, you know i'm not i'm not necessarily upset about it and, and i have to say there's something primordial about that because i you know i find the ocean to be beautiful and also immensely terrifying um in just that sense of like there's so much nothing there that like anything could be lurking underneath that and so like the deep ocean yeah. like legitimately kind of terrifies me so there is something that's kind of that he connected to on a primordial level i think when it comes to that hell yeah 
that's hell yeah you know that's me you know I, I that's why i can't complete the game subnautica because it's like there's there's dark deep ocean and there's things down there and i can't play it at night um well that's i mean that's a that, talk about where i came into lovecraft it's a lot of video games yeah. come into that like i've been making my way slowly through there's a game called the the, the sunken city which mm. is just everything's wet you know <laughs> I've, I've played <laughs> i actually have installed on my computer an adaptation of Dagon. um i've got you okay. know it's a lot of tentacles a lot of interpretations you know mm -hmm. that like in different games that show up so yeah. um wondering how much of the uh uh, the the term oh it's Lovecraftian is actually founded within the text of Lovecraft or is it just everyone's interpretation that is now Bikiam yeah. term yeah because it is that I mean also the shadow over Innsmouth is a pretty popular story that takes place in like a decrepit uh, city that used to be quite popular with like you know fishing and, and seafaring stuff and then the town started failing so they you know in order to preserve their line they started mating with these um fish-like entities kind of thing so it is it's it's kind of like that is the most pervasive thing in popular culture though his his uh, his uh his work is is much more uh varied than just that i would say but um yeah but pop culture would believe you to lovecraft is real soppy uh real moist real wet guy <laughs> real <So>. wet. <laughs> and this uh the opening scene is no uh no no exception i mean we've got it's a hell of an opening like we got uh oh, yeah it's great great opening we got the uh are we good to just jump into the movie talk about it or yeah absolutely really spoiler free podcast or yeah this is i i operate under the assumption that if you're listening to this you've probably seen the movie or or you're you're fine with being spoiled by it. we've we've uh we talk in detail about all of them so you know if you're if you're like guys stop i want to watch the movie on my own then just pause go, go watch, watch the movie and, and then come back yeah gotcha gotcha all right so then yeah the opening scene of this um all timer we've got the uh got this priest reading some some ancient text um and has no really unconcerned with um the the, the dripping the whole place <laughs> imminently, imminently collapse it um we've got uh um um some nuns uh assembling or having this amulet right that they're about and someone is trying to get it away from something it's a lot of a lot of mystery a lot of intrigue a lot of what's mm -hmm. going on and then full-on storm takes this place like full-on floods <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. this whole uh this whole chapel um and an unknown beast uh shatters uh, the the amulet and i'm yeah. like wow this is a solid opening i got a lot of questions i'm excited to see where it goes it's uh yeah um some fun practical effects i'm um uh, so i was on board in the opening scene i i was as well it, it was it was kind of a strong opener i was actually reminded a bit of um suspiria argento suspiria just in like this like we're clearly in some type of institution then there's that woman who's clearly kind of running from something and a lot of evocative imagery especially when like you know when that water floods and like takes the jesus on the cross thing away and, and it kind of like it's very foreboding and ominous like oh we're in for a movie where there's not going to be a happy ending like this is really kind of um foreshadowing what is going to happen and that woman is killed but we're not sure who were killed by so i was like okay Okay, Italian horror filmmaker um, Mariano Bano, like I'm, I'm, I'm on board for what you're doing here. That was the um, first thing I picked up too, is how Italian this movie felt. <laughs> is that like right from the get go? I had the same thought. I was like, this feels it's not Giallo, but it feels very Argento. It feels like I got mm -hmm. Inferno, I got Suspiria from the opening, I got like, mm -hmm. um, you know, even I mean, we even get to the story too. It's it's like the 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 plot is almost similar, you know, because then we get our main character, and next she's coming to the island, and she's very 
kind of witless, clueless about, but diving headfirst into this very scary sort of mm-hmm. location. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, which I really drew a lot of comparisons to Superia. Um, yeah. And a lot of, uh, like the, I keep thinking Inferno too, because of that opening where she's like the swimming in the, um, I've like I've not basement. seen Inferno, so I can I unfortunately cannot comment on that. James would probably be very upset with me, um, as he is. Superior is better, but is a good better comparison. But well, he he's he introduced me to a few um, Dare Argento films, including um, what's that one with Jennifer Connelly, where she can communicate with insects, which was fucking bonkers, phenomena. Phenomena. No, phenomena. I've never That's, seen phenomena. Okay, um, it's it's uh it's bonkers. I I will. I have a guarantee that for you. Um, but it, and, and yes, I, it was very evocative of, yes, Dara Argento and then somewhat Lucio Fulci. But I think for the bad reasons, because um, I'm, I'm not a fan of Lucio Fulci with maybe um, kind of uh, blasphemous. But yes, you, it does. It does feel very Italian. And I don't quite know what we mean by that, but it does have that feel to it. Um, I, and and maybe it's informed a little bit by the background of how this film came to be. I do want to give a little bit of background on the production of this, because by all means, it sounds like it was a miserable experience of making this movie. Um, <laughs> it was one of the first uh, Western films to be shot in Ukraine following the collapse of the Soviet Union. Um, they were, I guess because of a corrupt production manager they had, they were forced to shoot near Chernobyl instead of Odessa because this guy sold their studio space for profit to like a rival production company. Um, There was kind of the language barrier. You've got an Italian filmmaker working in Ukraine, but like also filming it in English. So like there's all sorts of of, of kind of disconnect there. Sets were destroyed by rainfall, which once again, opening sequence kind of ominous. Probably filmed it. (laughs) (laughs) That was probably the real set that washed away. Um, (laughs) Film stock was sold out from Underbano on the black market. Um, oh, and damn. without without any details, um, quote, a scene involving hundreds of candles went dangerously wrong, which I don't... <laughs> I need that story. <laughs> I want to I know what's going on there. But, like, it, 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 so it seemed like it was a disaster. And also just, just a language bearer. Have you ever seen uh, Don't Lick Now, the Nicholas Rowe yeah. film? Oh, yeah. So that, like, ominous police officer, um, when he goes to kind of report, like, it, it, it said that he wasn't like he didn't speak English at all. He just he was an Italian guy that just repeated like the English lines verbatim. So it had a very unnatural feel to what he was saying or like a very kind of unsettling feel to what he was saying. That's everyone in this movie to me. Like I'm just 100 like, yeah, percent. Yeah. Like, do, do they all know English or is it just like here, read this thing. Don't worry about what any of it means, because everyone just sounds very unnatural. It's it's unusual to me. I think that I mean, that, that's a lot of Italian movies. I think about like Fulci's movies, think like the house by the cemetery or like that there's it almost feels like it's dubbed you know mm-hmm. that yeah. like um but maybe yeah, it just it feels very unnatural which i think most of the lines given by our main heroine in this movie feel that way you know yeah. that like yeah um and, and I, I guess maybe you can make an argument that that was intentional but i i i would have trouble believing that um but in continuing on this, nevertheless, the film was allegedly quite acclaimed. It won the Prix du Public at the Montreal Fantasia Film Festival. And Bano uh, received the Vincent Price Award for Outstanding Contribution to Fantastic Cinema. And if you're anything like me, you're like saying, okay, but who the hell is this guy? Well, his <laughs> his IMDb and, uh, and Wikipedia pages really sound like they were written by him. 
because there's a whole bunch of accolades that like, uh, okay, but they're not being referenced anywhere else. So um, he was allegedly, <laughs> he, he allegedly knew what type of filmmaker he wanted to be after reading Love Crash Dreams in the Witch House, um, the adaptation of which we covered on this episode before, one of those uh, Masters of Horror from, uh, from Showtime. Um, his personal website looks like it was designed in 2002. If you want to go and visit it, I will include it in the show notes to this episode. He's been called, quote, someone with a vivid and savage imagination that Bram Stoker would envy by British newspaper The Daily Star. He's been called an unholy hybrid of Bergman, Bergman and Argento by Film Review, and his work has been compared by Bergman's for its somber atmosphere and depth of religious meditation. Notably, citations are needed for all of those accolades on Wikipedia, so did, did someone actually send that, say that, or is this just, you know, him pumping his own tires? We won't know, but based on at least the film that I saw... Um, I'm going to disagree with all those assessments, um, at least in the sense of, um, you know, yes, you can compare him to Bergman stuff in the sense of, well, Bergman did this well, and then here's this guy. That's a comparison that people can make when, it, when they watch this movie. But, um, yeah, um, I don't know. I, I, another thing that was, that was odd to me was just from the very beginning, like, we, we know why this woman is, is, is on her journey. So, like, her father dies um and uh she's an orphan and she knows that he's been donating all this money to this convent in the middle of nowhere so she's like i'm gonna go investigate and see if it's worth keeping up the investment um but it's also weird to me that you have a woman who's allegedly from london going to a convent in some foreign country and is paying with american money i'm <laughs> just like i what's what's going on here yeah i mean and they're all the people are are, are like yeah this is good this is good stuff. I mean, like we run into like the, the fisherman that's just constantly gutting things um, throughout the movie, you know, and he's just like, yeah, this is uh, this will cover it, you know, <laughs> like, and it looks like he's never left the shack on this island in all his life. Um, so, yeah, that, that is interesting. And it's also I mean, I thought we find out there's more to it than why she's there later in the movie. Mm. But like that was such a thin <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm here just to see if it's worth it you know like uh, <laughs> you know? right it, it is a bit weird i mean and then especially i can't tell if it's supposed to be a surprise because then we we later learn not even late in the movie but maybe halfway through that she was born on that island that and then she left when she was like seven years old so she's coming home but like the way that it's that it's relayed to us is so kind of nonchalant like wait am i Am I supposed to be surprised? Because this the film is just kind of treating this as though, like this is par for the course. Like, oh yeah, by the way, she's also she was born here. But come on, let's move on. We we need more more paintings from the blind man or more dead nuns or whatever. Like the plot is not important here. Hey, like I'm a big fan of the, the blind painter. A lot I love the nuns. This is basically nun exploitation. This movie, but they also. <laughs> But the, um, I, I mean, it was like, it was, if it was a twist, quote unquote, it was so telegraphed. I mean, we looked at one of the blind man's paintings and it's like the two little girls, you know, mm -hmm. and she even says, I should recognize these two. Why should I know this face? And it was like, I think I'm paraphrasing, but not by much, you know, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, oh, it's you. Right. It's right. Like, and and she not like, you know, 30 minutes later, we find out it is her. And so I'm not very surprised. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, and then she's, you know, cause she keeps having dreams of this little girl. And then there's that, that image or that vision she has of those two twin girls that are like beneath that, that crucifix with the person on it, which is like moving forward, which don't get me wrong. It's a very effective shot. And like there are, awesome and there shots. were, there were some moments in this movie. Where I'm like, ah, okay. You're pulling me back in. Like, especially how 
he would kind of contrast like the color blue with like the color orange, like how certain things were lit by candle. And then you'd see anything, anything that anytime that something was like kind of lit with blue, it kind of would key you into this is something different or foreign or outside. And I, right. I kind of liked that. But then it was just I don't know. I, I this. Well, I guess we can talk. We can talk a little bit more uh, about the plot. Um, I, I'm going to put air quotes around plot because it is. It is a very thin what this plot is basically. Yeah, we sound like we're jumping around, but honestly, we're just like <laughs> grasping at what's happening, you know? Like, yeah. Um, th- there's not there's not a ton that like propels the narrative or the character forward. Instead, it's just kind of like she goes to this island, a bunch of nuns die, she has some visions, and then it's just and then the big reveal happens. But like not, but there's no real sense of like building up to that moment or even like listen. I don't need to have the most complex characters in my italian horror films but i do need to have a character with some type of depth in the sense of 45 minutes into this movie i pause and i'm like i have no idea who this woman is what she wants or like anything about her other than she is here investigating um her father's fortune but like what what is who is she like i i I know nothing about her i I can't even is it is sarah her name or sarah's the nun that she was speaking to elizabeth one of she's one of them I wish I knew any of the names um, <laughs> and watched it last night, you yep, know, so like, too. yeah, um, uh, yeah, characters all, but I mean, there are, I mean, I can describe them like blind uh, prophet painter, um, yep. you know, uh, very hard to miss ever ever gutting man of fish, you know, his hands are always <laughs> bloody and he doesn't matter where, but somehow like he, he's holding many things and they don't get bloody. Like, he's he's really, also uh, the mailman. I think I don't, he's also, got a bag full of letters. They, he's, he's a man of many hats, you know, and he's, <laughs> and I appreciated it. I wanted to know more. Um, we also, I mean, we got all these nuns that carry around crucifix that, that are also knives, which, um, yeah, okay. like you, I mean, you just put black gloves in this movie and it's Jalo. Like it's <laughs> basically <laughs> right. Um, but also the but also like it takes on the worst characteristics of Jalo in the sense of a lot of it just seems to exist to move from from horrific imagery to horrific imagery from set piece to set piece like the the plot is the plot is simple in in on paper but it's also convoluted in kind of how it's relayed like it took me a while to kind of realize like wait so why are why are all these nuns being killed and who's killing all these nuns and like why is a nun f- throwing a flaming cross through this old woman's door and then setting her on fire um and and like and then you you kind of read the wikipedia summary like oh okay um yeah i guess that makes sense except it doesn't make sense because of how he chose to stage everything because it is a very simple narrative and actually in some regards actually pretty lovecraftian like we have our protagonist who is called back home to explore the depths of like a family mystery um and she ends up getting targeted by like a cult or a cult-like figure that worships an ancient ge- uh, an ancient deity um that is tied to her familial connections and 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 also a sense of at the end like she could not escape the fate like there was something that was sort of inherent within her bloodline that was always going to propel her to that end so that those are certainly lovecraftian elements but then it's also like yes but also we're gonna have um a reveal that is actually all not not all that surprising because we could kind of guess that it was coming, you know, thirty minutes ago, sort of as you yeah. said, sort of a thing. <laughs> that's um, the thing, yeah. 
like it, it, a lot of it just seems to exist like you know he had some cool imagery in mind that that opening sequence you know the or this why did they also explain why anyone is blind here like why is the painter blind why is mother superior blind I think they, they in the last moments it was uh, if if you laid eyes on the beast, okay, you, that was you you um that, that was you went blind, and so as we see at the end, which very confused about the end, we just you know <laughs> uh, jump to the very end, but we, <laughs> right. we can get there. But the uh, um yeah, that's what I got. That like everyone that was blind has beheld mm. the, de- the deity. Yeah. Um, and I guess that would sort of make sense because the the film sort of alludes that at least in the sense of how even we as the audience couldn't really see the the entity near the end. We we did see a some type of a pulsing wall uh, fragment at one moment, but then uh, yeah, a, right, an ancient right. an ancient motherly deity which is uh, obscured mostly by fog. I have to assume because there was not much budget for the creation of this thing. Um, but yeah, the I, I'm I'm going to run this by you. Um, because I wasn't, I was confused and I have to say this movie kind of bored me to tears, to be honest with you. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I don't care if a movie is bad, but like also give me something interesting to kind of engage with. So yeah. maybe it was lost on me. The, the nun who we've been talking to the entire time, who I'm pretty sure it's Sarah was the nun and, and Elizabeth was our main character. Okay. Sarah and Elizabeth are like actual biological sisters. Like sisters. Yeah. Yeah. Right. How would she not know that? Like, I mean, Elizabeth, because like there, there's because at some point she even says the word like sister to her. Is they're like, wait, so was was is she surprised? Did she know this? Because once again, she just kind of relays like sister and she just kind of says it as they're like, OK, so are we supposed to be surprised? Because you as a character don't even be uh, don't even seem very surprised at this moment right now. This might be me missing things and just like filling in gaps to like get through the narrative you know sure. but like mm-hmm. <laughs> but like we get the flashback of um you know the two little girls and i guess it was there they were like sacrificial lambs and something and they had to held the, the you know i don't know if that was happening but they had the amulet to bring about <laughs> mm-hmm. and she got you know uh cold feet or something and so she ran yeah. um and so i took that as like the one her sister did not run and stayed mm-hmm. and so maybe she then earned a space or like she stayed on the island versus whereas she uh elizabeth right our main character uh, was yes. mm-hmm. yeah taken off the island and grew up with her father where but the other sister grew up with her mother still mm-hmm. on the island yeah so because I, I i did have to once again after watching this movie i reread or reread i read the wikipedia summary i'm like okay i i, I see that this is the general points about uh, about what it's supposed to be but you know Elizabeth shows up to this convent because she'd been communicating with this woman, Teresa, who was the woman that was murdered at the beginning. Um, <clears throat> meets this woman named Sarah. We're, we find out that she was born here. She left when she was seven years old. So she has obviously come back to figure out why is her father. Also, I'm getting ahead of myself. I, I'm, I'm already kind of like asking questions about the, the insanity of, of the logic that this movie is supposed to uphold. But she finds out <laughs> that her, uh, well, her father actually had, uh, let's say, relations with this ancient deity, co- resulting in the birth of her and her sister, Sarah. And now, according to Wikipedia, the nuns had attempted to prevent Elizabeth from realizing her heritage and freeing their mother from the crypt. So 
Elizabeth was, you know, while she might have believed that she came back here to investigate what her father was was in, investing in, there is also that idea of that existential dread or threat of like, you are being called back here because you have to complete a ceremony in order for this deity to come back to life. Right. Um, cool. Once again, pretty Lovecraftian. I can get on board with that. Um, why didn't the father just like stop funding this place or I don't know, burn it to the ground or like what, what is, what is going to be the ultimate result of the mother kind of like coming back out of the crypt? Like there, there's, there are these, these hints of something of like a larger threat and mystery, except it's sort of like, okay, but you, you didn't really explain that to us. Like you, you as a no. film, you didn't really build up the dread or the threat instead. It's just kind of, and then Elizabeth is alive at the end, but blind because she saw the thing. See, now we're at to the end where I'm confused now yeah. because she's very much, I mean, this is a, down to a fundamental question I have about the amulet itself. Does mm. the amulet bring about the demon or does the taking away, like, was it a symbol? Because it looks like the demon was already there. Um, yes, it certainly does. And then, right. Um, um, and if even maybe it's been kept at bay because it's like up in that like crucifix and the little piece was there and it looks like something was like coming trying to get through yeah yeah mm -hmm. um so i took that as maybe the amulet was keeping it trapped maybe that's wrong uh maybe this, they were opposite maybe it's supposed to come together to like bring it back um, right Be because but then because we were led to believe elizabeth has kind of gone like it has like given herself to it but then she smashes the amulet and runs away so yeah it's sort of the thing like does the amulet summon the 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 entity or does the entity because then at some point the the amulet also kind of like gets reassembled too and like and how does that yes. even work like it's through some type of blood sacrifice yeah the blood it's a you know it's just as good as elmer's dude like it's <laughs> it works just as good i mean that's what happens right it, it, it bled all over the pieces and then it came together <laughs> and it's um, yeah so so then we, we're looking back and thinking like oh so the reason the nun set that old woman's house on fire was because the old woman was going to reveal or was was helping Elizabeth get to the truth of this is who you are, this is what you have to do. So it's kind of like, oh, so the nuns were the good people in retrospect, like killing Teresa because they didn't want Elizabeth coming back and that sort of thing. But then it's also like, okay, but a bunch of these nuns end up show like end up getting killed too. So who was it Sarah yeah. that killed them, I guess? Is that what we're supposed to believe? It beats me when they're all <laughs> over the beach. Like I have no idea. Yeah. Um, and then we get to the flashpoint at the end where she's like kind of older version. She's going through the ceremony again by her sister has the amulet and she runs again. Mm. Um, and so you're like, oh, okay. She, she's fully ending the ceremony, right? She's doing it again, making sure it doesn't come back. But then the last shot, she's in a nun's habit blind. And it seems like, oh, she's now taken up the mantle as one of the yeah. caretakers of the island. And I'm like, hold on. Are you against it? Are you for it? I'm confused. Yeah, unless we're supposed to believe that the the nun's work was was trying to keep the thing in the crypt at bay and Sarah was trying to undermine that. But then at some point, how do the nuns not figure that out and do something to get rid of or dispose of Sarah? Right. And also, if the father was funding this convent because, I don't know, because he wanted the to keep this, it at bay yeah or or, or 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 i don't know because if you want to keep it at bay then just don't yeah i, I don't know there, there's there are so many questions that i'm just like 
I don't even want to call them plot holes as much as just like it just didn't seem like there was a whole lot of effort put into making the plot make sense. And just instead kind of like, hey, I got some great ideas for some awesome shots and some awesome visuals and like, cool. What else you got for me? And it doesn't have much else for that's fair. That's fair. I guess. I mean, that's a great um, maybe segue into like what's because there were some awesome shots in this movie that maybe like. To me, at the end, I was like, I didn't get a lot of it, but there were some shots that I can pull away that, like, yeah. like specifically the, the 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 crucified Jesus, like floating towards the two girls that I read in a um, did a little research as a film school rejects article. There was an interview with him, oh, the okay. director, and mm-hmm. he basically said that that was a like a nightmare he had as a kid, like growing oh. up in Italy. That there were different parts of Italy that like some were very um, sanitized you know versions of the jesus in like the crucifixion and then you had other parts that were like fucking brutal you know mm. like bloodied bludgeon jesus that were all you know um worshiping mm. uh at sunday mass um and apparently he had it in our uh, nightmares of like floating you know jesus like haunting him at night um and so i mean seeing this movie i'm like yeah that is fucking scary if yeah I- no that's that's entirely fair it is it is i, I mean Yes, as as someone who uh, has has been raised in in the Christian religion, like yeah, the idea that like we, our imagery is like this guy who is, um, basically being publicly tortured. It's like eh, there's there's something that is very kind of macabre to that. And <clears throat> then when you add a component of it floating towards you, is yeah, really kind of creepy, horrifying, uh, right? That like, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and like it actually kind of reminded me of I don't know if you've ever played any of the uh, any of the Silent Hill video games. Um, I love them. There, Absolutely. So, okay, so Silent Hill uh, for the room, which I didn't love, um, but the the ghosts in that game, the way that they come at you, it's almost kind of like they're like they're suspended in midair or they're hanging from something. Almost, it's almost as though it's kind of like dry cleaning is coming after you, and there's just something yeah. about the way how they're almost like lifeless and caught in the wind, which is just so. It's it's so creepy and I can't really explain what's weird about it, but I just like I know it's 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 very scary to me. And I was actually kind of reminded of, of that when when this uh, when this floating crucifix was coming towards us for the same image, but different movie. Have you seen the movie Terrified? Um, no, I have not. Uh, oh, gosh. Argentinian. I think. Uh, oops, sorry. Um, uh, but it's on Shutter. Um, mm. It's getting a Del Toro's producing a remake, um, but it's because it's del toro it's if it's really good you know sure. like we'll mm. make another one um but uh, there's the opening scene of that is terrifying quote unquote mm. of the, the title and it features that it features like a guy in the middle of the night like thinking his wife or like his neighbor is like doing you know like construction in the morning in the, the middle of the night and so he's like banging and it's this whole thing this whole like charade of him like tell him to quiet and then finally he's like and, and the whole time his wife is in the shower in the next room. And so you're following this guy trying to get some sleep while his wife is showering. And mm-hmm. finally he goes in the bathroom and the noise was just his, like his wife being like smacked back and forth in oh, the shower, God. like from some ghost entity, just like, and it's like beyond unsettling. It, the most haunting thing I've seen in years. And this movie is wonderful. Um, so if you haven't seen terrified, that was the opening scene. Um, from, uh, um, and so I, that made me think of this too, of that, like, yeah, there's something just like a bloody lifeless thing, but animated and still moving is, is 
yeah, it's not chill. And I agree with you. <laughs> and, and just also something about that is, that is being propelled forward without any type of movement um, in its extremities, whatever you want to call it. But just like old, like um, not old, but like uh, some Kiyoshi Kur uh, Kurosawa films do that, too, where it's like when it's a ghost that's just kind of like it, it's a person on a platform that's just moving, but you can't see their feet. So they just seem as though they're moving without moving their body. And, and I'm giving myself the chills even just talking about it. So I'm going to move on. <laughs> To something else but um i, I was also I, I don't know if, if maybe because Ital italy is is a very catholic uh country and a bit more conservative in um their beliefs when it comes to that sort of thing so i do wonder if in 1993 or 94 this there was this film was a bit more shocking but i i couldn't help but think that there was especially when it comes to a lot of the, the religious imagery and in, in comparison or or putting it in conjunction with blood and destruction that kind of stuff if there was a little bit of, of of the director that was kind of like trying to introduce maybe a little bit of heresy and trying to kind of like shock people. But in, in 2021, I'm watching this and be like, whatever, like, you know, Ken Russell's the like the de the demons is, is much worse or like the ninth configuration by William Peter Blatty is like much worse. Like this is if you're trying to shock me, it's not working very well. And then that's just going to be one additional complaint on top of the fact that also your movie doesn't make any fucking sense. Um Amen. But yeah, it's <laughs> but it's very strange. But like you said, like there's just some imagery that, yeah, I keep I keep going back and keep thinking about. Um, and but in, in also sort of a negative way, because I don't know which movie it is, but in one of the Fulci movies, there's a, a sequence or, 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 or an old blind woman is also integral to the plot. Maybe it's the beyond. I, I can't entirely remember, but um they all get blind, right? <laughs> By the end and beyond, right? Well, yeah, yeah, I believe so. Um, but it just, he's, it's like, it's, it's a, this was his first feature film. And it kind and it feels that way in the sense of it has kind of an undergrad quality of sort of like all the influences that of things you've seen are very apparent, but you're putting them together in a way which doesn't necessarily work as a cohesive unit because you also haven't bothered to really craft a decent story it's just kind of like right here's some fulci here's some argento here's some the exorcist here's some nunsploitation and what so, all what, what maybe all some I, folk in there you know yeah perhaps yeah. And, and what it all adds up to is just like i don't fucking know because i had no idea what was happening by the end of this movie either and yeah and that final shot i thought i was getting a small grasp of it and then the final shot happened and i'm like hold up yeah, because it's because I would like because I mean, I, I guess, well, let's even let's even try and speculate here for you. I know that you said, you know, we neither of us really kind of were able to follow. But at, but the end that shot with her blind and as a nun, what would that in, imply to you in the sense of like, has the threat passed? Is it still here? What do you think? I think the threat is still um, there. And I think mm -hmm. that's why it makes me like because i didn't think about it now i'm like were the nuns on the good side the whole time you know mm -hmm. and that like um that maybe as her uh, when she was young she was the key to releasing it she ran and so now that she's back maybe the nuns were like very much like keeping her from returning to do the ceremony mm -hmm. um and so in the end she didn't do it she did the same thing in the beginning um but now she's blind and has now devoted herself in this new you know uh, which i guess is lovecraftian right then this new like <laughs> yeah. heightened sense of knowledge that the previous world does not exist i see things much differently now mm -hmm. um and so i will devote the rest of my days to being this like uh a, a silent night a dark night 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll be this. I'll be the hero this island needs, not the one it deserves. Right? But... <laughs> yeah, because the hero the island deserves is is the the old, the 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 bloody hands butcher guy. That's the that's the island the, the hero the correct. island deserves. <laughs> correct. Correct. <laughs> uh, but. I'm pr- I'm pretty much with you in that interpretation, or at least in the sense of that's what I think the film would want us to believe. But here's the other thing. If the sisters are what was required for this entity to kind of come back to life, then wouldn't it have been better if... I want to be, I want to be careful about how I phrase this, because like... <laughs> Elizabeth continuing to be alive, it, it's her it's her presence, which means that there's ultimately going to continuously be a threat, like, right? right. Unless I'm misinterpreting the whole rules on how to this how to how to summon a demon, which in in, in reality, I may very it may very well be happening because this universe is not fully well flushed out. Right. So I don't know. I, I think I think like it it wants very much to be a punch in the gut at the end. And instead, it was just kind of like, okay, good, I can turn this thing off now. Basically, this is this entire episode is just um, me saying I'm sorry that this was the the film that got you onto the cast of Cthulhu for the first (laughs) time. Oh no, I'm I'm thrilled to be here. It's fun. It was a fun watch because there were, you know, scenes like that with the floating crucifix. The opening scene was an all timer. There were plenty of bits. I loved. I loved blind oracle painter man um i loved that the scene where uh um, the nun threw the burning cross into the building but elizabeth escaped (laughs) and the nuns find out she escaped by the blind man's painting and they looked at it you know like (laughs) well according to the painting she made it out you know so we're not out of the woods yet (laughs) what's what's weird about the the blind man who's doing the painting is um I, I couldn't tell were, were his paintings supposed to be prophesied like prophecies or was he just kind of like kind of like delaying the news in the sense of like hey haven't you heard what's happened like here let me paint you what happened it's just here. a game of telephone but like much cooler <laughs> you know that... <laughs> yeah um then there's yeah there seems to be some some special skill on this island with communicating through painting because even the blind mother superior who was like caressing and massaging that oh, painting right. and all of a sudden oh there's a face underneath there like oh no this is horrifying which, yeah, I mean, because they're all blind and they're the ones making these paintings. So it's like poses the question, what do they see? If that's the thing they're seeing, you know, that's kind of nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a lot of candles, a lot of uh, um, the pit was pretty gnarly. Some some pretty gnarly kills, you know, in there. It was, mm-hmm. uh, um, yeah, it was spooky stuff. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed watching it at the end. Could, could I tell you what happened? I don't think I could, but I like <laughs> but I was kind of riveted watching it. Yeah, I could tell you that like the tagline and the general like premise leading up to the inciting incident. And then it's like, after that, you're on your own, folks. Sorry, that's that's really Choose all I your own do. adventure. Um, <laughs> uh, in there for there. But um, no, I, I thought there was uh, um, what I, I, I think I really appreciated about this movie has got me thinking is like how, how interesting it is conflating like a Lovecraftian like cult uh, religion um in the intersection between like a very christian like mm-hmm. ideal imagery um that uh i mean just finished watching midnight mass on netflix and we did Ooh. a whole thing on our podcast talking about it big fan real good love that. real good um which did uh to a far greater degree of success but did the same thing of like uh this intersection of something really horrifying with something very 
um, sacred and, and saccharine, you know, that like, um, I, th- I thought this movie was kind of cool that like the, how easy it would be for this Christian, uh, you know, monastery or abbey or river on this island um, to then g- get a glimpse at like some Lovecraftian higher power and just kind of reframe everything to going like, no, all of our, you know, traditions and habits still apply, but now it's all in honor of this other thing. Um, mm-hmm. I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah. That, that idea that I, I guess, because part of like the thing that I find the most terrifying about Lovecraft's work is that idea of like the narratives of basically the meaning of, of, of existence that you have come to know are actually all incorrect. Um, and there is no religion. There is no significance to any of this. Like we are a mistake and that's just kind of it. Um, not even a mistake, a joke, which is I think even more horrifying. Um, but so, so, so I guess there is some subtext here of like, and this could be me reading too deep into it, but just this idea of like what these nuns in this order has discovered is that like, yeah, there, there, there is what we have been led to believe is incorrect. Um, and so now our duty doesn't become like, you know, worshiping Jesus as much as just stopping whatever this thing is from destroying everything, which is, that's also somewhat reminiscent of Prince of Darkness, which is mm-hmm. not, not yeah. the best of, of the apocalypse trilogy, but, but my favorite one because of that kind of a thing. Um, yeah. You know, just that idea of like, yes, you know, we we've our narrative is wrong, but like but we still have to keep going because otherwise it's just it's oblivion and it's destruction. And that's like, whew, that's a real Sophie's choice of like how you proceed with your your entire life. Yeah, of course. I mean, just like Prince of Darkness, that movie had like some banger images, you know, that like um, that this movie, I think, also does. Um I'm just like, wow, the, the way they flooded that opening set was kind of like, oh, we're getting this movie now. Like, we're going <laughs> to crank yeah. it up mm-hmm. a notch. We're getting this. And, and to a, I think it kind of delivered. We got more things like that throughout the movie. Yep. Um, nothing, things didn't make as much sense. We keep, you know, keep saying the, the, the logic wasn't <laughs> yeah. there, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I can recommend it on the, the imagery alone. I think so. Okay. Well, and I, I, I don't know. I, I can't. I, I guess I am recommending it, not in the sense of like I think it's good, but like uh, you you kind of got to see it to judge for yourself because it's such a yeah. weird kind of bonkers movie that I think you you really you really it doesn't do any dis it does a disservice just hearing us talk about it. like you have to kind of seek it out for yourself, right? Um, you know, and Brian will have the Blu-ray soon, so you know maybe borrow it from him. And maybe there's there's uh, some special features on there that I can get to the bottom of what that catastrophe with the candles was yeah, I, I, I hope i know but um i don't know but i know i know the director too also like he's done some art installations he's done if you go to his website once again i'll put it in the show notes um he has some like art that he's like drawn and made so like he is a very visual guy um so he might just be one of those people who's not really concerned with narrative as much as just like i'm going to use cinema to like show cool things which is not exactly the way that I engage with movies, but also I can understand that there's some validity to that. So that might be for, you know, it might be for you. It might not be for me. Um, and that's, that's totally fine, but that's okay. It's um, okay. <laughs> that's, that's okay. Um, but uh, Brian, thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us here on the cast of Cthulhu. If, uh, if people want to seek out the um, happy harvest horror show and just like you two in general, where can people find your stuff on the internet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy Harvest Horror Show. We are on wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, 
uh, we're on anchor. So it just pushes it out to everybody. Um, and, um, my uh, handle at Brian Muldoon on Instagram. I post mostly on happy harvest horror show, which is on Instagram. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's where you can really find me a part of our podcast. Um, we also have a book club every month um, for all our supporters of it, which has been a lot of fun. So um, but yeah, I mean, we've read like five books this year, which is like more than I had last year. So that's like, <laughs> it's awesome that we <laughs> like really made a big accountability system or well, you know you um yeah so that's where you can find me um mostly with there uh we uh we also have a a, a twitch channel that we Ooh. um it's kind of on a hiatus right now but we're looking to bring it back but with the whole it's kind of tied into the podcast but we play a lot of spooky games is the shtick um nice. and so a lot of lovecraft games in there too so yes um, um one of which i recently completed the uh the call of cthulhu game which was a fine um yeah i played that down it was pretty fine yeah my character yeah, I looked mad it. at the end that's the ending i got i went mad were you mad yeah um i can't remember if i stopped it i can't remember um this was a few years ago i played it but i did like the the leading up to it the imagery and that's a, back to everything's just damp you yeah, know it's, it's like damp. a damp fisherman town that's lovecraft <laughs> it's you real know? real sexy in, in a way. <laughs> right um, um, but I'm, thank you very much for having me on. This is exciting. Yeah. Um, uh, if you ever need uh, another obscure guest to jump on. Uh, there's, there's, there's plenty of weird, obscure, uh, Italian horror out there. So I'm sure there'll be an opportunity in, in the future. Um, we of course are, uh, the cast of Cthulhu, uh, James, who is not here can be found on Twitter at fistful of media. I am Nolan Fixes Teeth, and we are Cast Cthulhu. You can also find us on Facebook at Cthulhu Cast. We had to swap things there because the cast because it was already taken so what do you want to fight about it um you can find our podcast <laughs> on podbean or everywhere else that uh you find your podcast as well podbean does the same thing just kind of puts it out there we don't have to do really anything it's quite convenient um and let me see upcoming stuff um so full disclosure to you listeners we're not actually doing any like new film episodes for december what we figured out instead is um you know december Christmas, the holiday season of giving. So we're we're gonna we're gonna give a little bit. Uh, we we keep pitching our Patreon, and so what we want to do is kind of release um, some stuff which is on the Patreon in December to kind of wet your whistle and kind of like, hey, maybe we should uh, give this give these folks some money um, to make podcasts because uh, we have a lot of fun doing it. So we're gonna kind of do that, just kind of some stuff which is already in the bank for for Christmas. And we have one thing um, that we are currently working on that we hope we can get out. I'm just going to tease it, but it's going to involve a lot of people um and it's very exciting so that's all i'll say and we will keep you all updated but um yeah brian thanks a lot for um for checking in with us here at the cast of cthulhu and uh hopefully next time we bring on it's for something that's um a little bit more sensical um and that james can can chime in on as well but uh just uh, so castle freak right that's what <laughs> <laughs> that's you know yeah maybe the old one and then we'll and then that's in, in comparison with uh with y'all. you know we'll, we'll see we'll see there, we'll there's see. a there's, there's a lot of time out there but um yeah brian once again thanks for joining us thank you to you listeners for um all your patience especially in this elongated protracted period in which we have been inconsistent and absent um we hope that we can make up for it uh with some fun stuff in december but um in the meantime or yeah be sure to join us next time where we'll be uh sampling some stuff that we got going on on the patreon but in the meantime we'll be waiting and dreaming with dead cthulhu in his house in relia 